this time on Sonic Earth Expeditions. Hula School, and a movement to preserve Hawaiian language and culture. Hello, fellow listeners, and welcome. I'm your host, Mary Beth Toole. Hawaiian language is considered critically endangered by UNESCO. My guests, Kikoa and Pele Harmon, are part of the effort to revitalize the language of Hawaii. A married couple, they're both teachers of Hawaiian culture in Hilo, Hawaii. But their dedication doesn't stop at the classroom. In addition to teaching the chants and hulas of their ancestors, they made the choice to speak Hawaiian as their primary language at home. Aloha, my name is Kikoa Lloyd Harmon. Um, I'm an associate professor at Kaka'ula Oke'elikolani and also a uh, uh, instructor of hula for Halau Ikaleola Onamamo, which is a, a school, a hula school that emphasizes the teaching of traditional dances in the medium of Hawaiian. And we have students from um, around three years of age all the way up to um, to the parental age. Um, we have um, parents and colleagues who also dance. So we have that range of students um, who have a desire to learn hula through the medium of Hawaiian. Aloha kako. My name is Pele Honua Mea. Oh, I have a very long name, actually. Pele Honua Mea Napua Ala Onu'uanu Gin Suganuma Harmin. I am a teacher at Kikula Onavihi Okalani Opu'u, which is a Hawaiian medium school, um, grades K all the way up to 12th grade, um, situated in Kea'o Puna on the island of Hawaii. I'm also an instructor of hula along with my husband Kikua here for our Halau, Halaui Kaleo Onamamo, our um, hula school. Your Halau, you said? Yes, our Halau. So that's... Um, I guess the old term would have been a pahula because hula dancers traditionally it would have been like an occupation, you know. And so now halau is more a reference to an actually an actual building um, where a school. We have halau va'a, which are places where you house a canoe. A va'a is a canoe, and then a halau hula, a place where you would instructor teach um a house where you would teach hula i guess is the more modern term yeah mm-hmm. so it's interesting that pele brings that up too because with the change of terminology also um you know indicates to us that we live very different lives than our kupuna our ancestors did um and with that you try to hold on to some of these old terms and and, and the perspective that comes with the terms but realizing too that you know a lot of the the ways that, that our ancestors lived, we you know we, we can't do it today. It's yeah. it's very different. Yes. Well, that's really interesting. It's such a great point, and we can just dive right in with that. Mm-hmm. What are some of the ways that the language has to has had to adapt to modern Hawaiian life? Mm, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. I would say well, halau is definitely one adaptation whereas during 
oh gosh, the generation maybe before my great grandmother's generation, all the way up to my great, great, great grandmother. Um, her name was Nali Ipoemoko, and she was actually a court dancer for Queen Emma. So this is during the time where we had a monarchy that ruled the Hawaiian Islands, a central government, which was under the monarchy. And she was a court dancer, which means that when Queen Emma wanted to travel or if there was a some kind of um, big event that she would call on her dancers to come to court and perform the songs that they would um, be taught in honor of our ali'i, in honor of our chiefs, our royalty. And so that was a very different time, I think, from now. Now hula is often looked at as an extracurricular activity, entertainment, entertainment perhaps. Mm-hmm. Entertainment um, for the tourists, maybe. For the tourists. And and also, I think, um, you know, it, it's it's a competitive, there, there are competitions of, of hula. And so there are halal, halal versus a pahula where you would have lived, worked, breathed with your teachers observed a lot of different rules as far as um, not being able to be with your spouse during the time of training, even grooming wise, how you would, um, there are a lot of kapu, a lot of taboo on things that you could or could not do as a dancer because you had to, hula is a very spiritual, it's connected to our old religion in Hawaii. And so it's just as spiritual as it is physical a physical mm-hmm. activity mm-hmm. and so um you were as a dancer you would be while you're under the tutelage of your teacher um you would keep your body clean your spirit clean your mind clean so that you can receive and hold on to mm-hmm. all this knowledge mm-hmm. you know because it's not only chanting or um, poetry mm-hmm. uh it's also foot movements it's hand movements and then also um, if you were to have to learn how to hit the drum or the ipu, if that was your function within the hula school, then um, that's another layer. And then there were also prayers that went along with all these different activities, mm-hmm. um, whether it be picking adornments for making your lei, your wreaths um, to adorn yourself with when you're dancing. Um, there were chants and prayers that went along with all of these things. Yeah, yeah and I, I think I think Pilla makes a good point here, especially if we just look at the um, form and function of hula and, and why it was done and how it was learned. That it, um, we see good indicators there of of the seriousness of it in actually learning it, so that it becomes a part of your life and and your very and to the core of your existence. And I think um, when we look back at this particular way of learning, when we look at the, the pahula, the traditional way of learning, um, sometimes I, I, I fantasize <laughs> about, about learning in that type of environment because um, it makes sense. It makes sense that you would, you would c- commit and dedicate all of your energy from the, the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun in a day to to focus on the learning and that knowledge that's being taught 
And when we look at our lifestyle today, I think I go, that sounds like a luxury. That and that sounds beautiful to be we able have to so many distractions. Mm-hmm. That's definitely yeah. We try to hold on to certain aspects of things that our ancestors did. For instance, um, when you start a class, uh, whether it be with our young children, our young dancers, or our adults, um, one loina, one practice, traditional practice mm-hmm. that um, our kupuna did was to ask permission to enter uh, the school, to ask permission to enter the halau or um, a place of learning. And so mm-hmm. um, that we see that in our stories as far back as um, the Mo'olelo, the story of Pele and Hi'iaka, which are, you know, are, um, is a very famous story amongst uh, hula people. And so we know that there was that aspect of asking permission. Um, and while you're asking permission to enter a house or a dwelling of someone else, you're also preparing yourself um, mentally and spiritually to mm-hmm. kind of try and just get rid of and that's what we tell our students you know just leave everything outside <laughs> it'll be there when you when you finish mm-hmm. our our one hour one hour and a half of um of dancing and then it'll be there waiting for you all the stresses of life and parenthood and you know all mm-hmm. these other things that kind of pull and tug at our um um our our brain <laughs> uh throughout the day however um ask permission to enter and then the kumu, the teachers, the instructors will respond. Um, and sometimes we'll, for our younger students, we'll have them ask over and multiple over. Multiple times. Multiple yeah. times because mm-hmm. you can look at them and see that they're not quite focused. They're not quite ready. They're still a little... Jittery or... Remnants of, you know, what might have happened an hour prior in school, in regular... Um, school and so um we want them to you can hear it in their voice you can see it in their behavior as well oh we're not quite ready so keep going ask Mm -hmm. again and then maybe after three or four times then we can see that they are ready to come in and Mm -hmm. um, receive this knowledge and and so um we will respond by saying come come in and and partake of um, this knowledge, you know, mm-hmm. and and um, together, and so, in essence, I think we've had to our our language stays true to. I mean, we still use the same chants that I are, are in our our old stories, and so that's a connection that we have mm-hmm. um, to our our elders, to hula teachers. Um, Mayoki, I mean, from the beginning of time for us. However, um, we have to adapt it to modern day life. Mm-hmm. And we know that they're not going to stay with us forever. We have them for maybe an hour, um, a little over an hour, hour and a half, um, multiple times a week. And then they go back to their parents and their families and they mm-hmm. conduct their other activities. Oh. Yeah. Wow, mm-hmm. it goes so deep the knowledge that you're that you're talking about. I mean, it it seems like it connects on a very profound level. So, can you guys tell me a little bit about mm-hmm. yourselves? You were both born in Hawaii. You grew up there. I'd love to hear 
more about what it was like growing up? Yeah, I'm actually um, born and raised on um, Maui, um, born in Wailuku, but uh, most of my family comes from Lahaina on the west side of Maui. And um, growing up, my, my grandparents lived in Kihei on um, the south side of Maui. So, um, you know, I, I have such fond childhood memories of being very close with my grandparents. Um, both on my my father's side, my haole side, my um, my dad is actually um, born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and um, my mom is from um, her ohana. Her family comes from Maui, so you know you have these um, bridging of two two different worlds, um, which always kept it very interesting. Especially since I was so close to my grandparents, that I have I have my um, real local Hawaiian side, and uh, you might have you know many of us were mixed. Yeah, we're mixed, so you know I'm part. Part Hawaiian, Filipino, Korean, Caucasian, Haole, Welsh, um, German, um, but understanding the um, the richness of that to to have um, grandparents from both sides was was fun. It was fun growing up with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I grew up on a different island from Kekoa, so I grew up on the. I guess now it's considered the capital um, Honolulu in on the island of Oahu, and um, I would say because I Oahu is more, um, and especially Honolulu, that's this that's the capital of our state, and so it's a little more city-like. I had kind of a. a uh, a different upbringing from Kikwa in that sense, where I used to tease him that he's kind of a country bumpkin because the things that I, you know, grew up being around, like just um, concerts and uh, things, because we had the big arenas on big by our standards on um, on Oahu, then those were like, you know, um, it wasn't a big deal to me or the big football games because we have our stadium there. Mm-hmm. Um, However, my both of my parents are, are Native Hawaiian. Uh, my mother's family hails from Maui, from Kekoa's Island. And then my father's family um, on one side, actually, on his paternal side, my great-grandmother on my father's side was one of the first homesteaders. So when um, home, the Homestead Act passed for, um, in Hawaii um, for Hawaiians, uh, she was one of the first to settle my great grandmother on my father's side, uh, my father's father's side uh, lived in Papakolea and she was a teacher there. And so she has very, we have very um, deep roots in um, Papakolea area. That's where my grandfather was raised. And my auntie still lives there and her um, grandkids uh, still visit her up there in in the old house that um, my great grandmother raised her family in. And then on my father's uh, maternal side, they come from this island, actually, from Ka'u, um, the southernmost part of uh, Hawaii Island. And so um, my great-grandmother uh, comes from Ka'u, and she was a, she's a very well-known scholar. Her name is Mary Kavena Pukui. She co-authored the Hawaiian Dictionary. Um, but what was very unique about her upbringing was that she had a haole father, and we, we use that term for um, foreigner, Caucasian. Um, he came from uh, Massachusetts, actually, and he 
I don't know. I mean, I, I know how he ended up there, but of all places to end up, <laughs> no one really ends up in Kau. But at the time, there was a Hutchinson Sugar Co. Company, and so th- there was a a lot of sugar cane. You know, uh, the sugar industry was very um, huge here on all the islands, mm-hmm. even on Maui. And so in Kau, my great 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 grandfather, um, he has a very Hawaiian name, Henry Nathaniel Wigan. Oh wow! <laughs> he moved to um, he moved to Kau as he was hired by the um, as kind of a manager at the sugar company, and he married my full native Hawaiian um, great great grandmother. Her name was Pahana, and um, they together raised my great grandmother. So she was versed in um, English and Hawaiian at the time, and that made her. At, during that time when she was born in 1895, you know, our language is slowly being, there was a, a law that came into um, existence in 1896, outruling the use of Hawaiian language in in um, schools. And so that was one year after she was born. And um, being that she was raised in a very rural area um, with a native Hawaiian mother, and then also a father who um, taught her about the ride of Paul Revere and all these other things, um, you know, that he he grew up knowing. Having being, I guess, first in both languages really, really, really allowed her to um, help anthropologists who are um, interested in documenting this our our way of life in Hawaii. And so she worked at the Bisha Museum um, most of her life. Uh, she helped co-author our Hawaiian dictionary, our native um, proverbs, um, countless other books about plants. And um, she just loved learning. And then she also loved um, our culture and which was her culture, you know, and her um, and our way of life. And so she wanted to make sure that that was documented. So I, even though we grew up in Honolulu, I always, I think having that kind of, you know, on, on both sides of my family, just being around Hawaiian things all the time, um, whether it be going to church, uh, my my mother's church, they have the um, sermon is done in Hawaiian, um, dancing hula, I danced hula at a very young age at the YMCA of all places in Honolulu. Um, and then also um, knowing how my ancestors dedicated their life to perpetuating and preserving our our culture. It's kind of a a very loaded, I think, childhood. So Kekwan, I really, you know, whether it's his tutu, um, who was also, I got to meet her before she passed away. Tutu Lahaina lived to be 93. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and she was a native speaker as well. So, you know, we, we were very blessed to have had, um, those connections to very strong people in our lives that felt very passionately about, mm-hmm. um, and, and we're very proud of their heritage. And so, mm-hmm. um, why wouldn't we, we follow in their footsteps, you know, when they, they laid down a path that was so, very clear for us um all we have to do is just follow on that path really Mm -hmm. they did all the hard work i feel (laughs) 
Oh, that's so beautiful. What a beautiful story. So you did grow up hearing the language of Hawaiian from your uh, great-grandparents, grandparents? Yes. Um, well, in that regard, especially for hearing the language, it was mainly, um, you know, phrases for, for myself. It was mainly on um, phrases and certain words that were used on a regular basis, um, especially on um, scoldings. <laughs> the scoldings always come in, come in handy, especially learning as a child. And, you know, a lot of times these these phrases or words, I mean, it would be very short. Mm-hmm. You know, if, you, if you're the kulikuli or hamau to um, kulikuli meaning racket. So you, as a child, you need to, you know, um, catch catch on quickly that that means racket that you're you're contributing to this racket yeah Yeah, that you need to stop it you need to be quiet be quiet so it would be stop the coolie coolie is that is that what you're talking about um it's yeah stop the coolie coolie so just using that one word as a as an adjective to describe what's what's occurring you know that you're you're the racket yeah (laughs) coolie coolie so um you're yeah. the source of this, you know, of, yeah, yeah. of all the rockets. And so that's really interesting that because, you know, like Kikwa said, our, our, our ancestors use short phrases along with eye contact, which is very yes. important. They had that eye that would just silence you. But Kuli Kuli is to bring to the forefront um, what what you're doing incorrectly. And so mm-hmm. that's it, that's even when you're when you're touching something that you shouldn't be touching then they'll say what you're doing because that by saying what you're doing, then you know that you're not, you're not supposed to be doing that as a, mm-hmm. as a young child, mm-hmm. you know? So la lama or you're, you're touching things. That, mm-hmm. That's all they say is you're touching things. And as a child in Hawaii, a Hawaiian yeah. child, then you know that that means you're touching things that you shouldn't be touching and you're going to have a consequence if you continue this. To do so. Right. Yeah, it's all yeah, in that one yeah, little word yeah. along with the eye contact. Right. And so. And and now it makes sense to me when you're growing up, sometimes you're like, whoa. I mean, if you just look at the facial expression or, um, you know, the intonation in the voice and, and you go, okay, I'm doing something wrong. What am I doing wrong? But beyond that, I think uh, one of the important lessons there too is that your elders want you to be a keiki apple that you're a child that picks up quickly and, and observes and listens and comprehends. So by giving you a little bit without explaining completely to you, this is what you're doing wrong. (laughs) And this is how you need to fix it. And giving you one word, think about it, (laughs) fix it. (laughs) And, um, and you know, that that's actually a good lesson for, for many things in life. Um, If you, if you do have that ability to, to catch on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, it is mm-hmm. Hawaiian parenting skills. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Tell me a little bit about how you guys met. Oh. <laughs> well, I was going to go back to even, because um, Kikwa, you were doing so good about the, um, you know, we're, we're part of a generation where we were trying to, we had to go to school to learn language. Mm-hmm. And so even though he had a, great grandmother who lived and actually our oldest child um, interacted with her for a few years before Mm -hmm. she passed. Mm -hmm. And, um, but when you think about his grandmother and then our parents, there's very little language that took place 
um, in their uh, during their generation because not only was it outlawed in schools starting from 1896, but it was also, um, I think there was a stigma for a long time mm-hmm. about, mm-hmm. because my great grandmother's generation would have been beaten if they spoke Hawaiian language in schools or, um, and, and, and then there was this, this stigma about you're going to be at a disadvantage because the world is um, that of English speaking mm-hmm. um, community members and you know there's a english-speaking community that you belong to and so um for whatever reason there are many reasons why i think our great-grandparents and our grandparents would have um held on to phrases Mm -hmm. and mannerisms and just Uh customs you know like it didn't matter that they didn't speak hawaiian they loved hawaiian music they loved Mm -hmm. um their their interactions with each other were very Hawaiian, whether it be seeing someone that you haven't seen for a long time and just breaking out into tears and just kissing, you know, it can be two males, an uncle and a, and a, um, and a nephew um, who haven't seen each other. They, you know, they so were very affectionate, affectionate mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. each other. And that's mm-hmm. um, a way that our people always express themselves. So that continued on. It doesn't matter what generation. The mannerisms, even though the, the aspect of food, and how that continued to be a big part of, of families mm-hmm. getting together. And when people would come to your home to be prepared for that, that the first thing you do in the, my, my, you know, come yeah. inside, come inside, come eat, come eat, mm-hmm. eat first, eat, mm-hmm. sit down and eat. And that's mm-hmm. how we, um we reconnect with one another. And if you think about the basic, you know, basic need that we have, everyone needs to eat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so let's share this together yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. and then I think for myself I had a um my great-grandmother actually passed when I was very young um and my grandmother passed uh right before I was born mm-hmm. um so uh my dad would always you know he was a musician actually he he um he and his brothers had a had a little um uh, a trio that they did and they did Hawaiian music and so I think that was a connection always to our language I danced hula from a very young age mm-hmm. um, and of course all of our compositions are in unless it's a we call it hapa haole genre where it's like half English um, or Hawaiian words kind of woven together with uh, English words uh, and so I would have learned you know, that's another connection that we had to language, but also church. Church was very important for us mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. even though a lot of the congregation um, was starting to, the younger generation was not speaking Hawaiian, sermon was always in Hawaiian. Um, our hymns were always done in Hawaiian. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Kiko and I made a conscious effort when we were going to school to reclaim this language that we knew our our, our grandparents knew, our great-grandparents knew, they heard in everyday life. And we wanted that to, we wanted to have that for ourselves, but also for our children. Um, and I was I'm very thankful, I'll always be very thankful that um, our oldest daughter was able to speak with her great-great-grandmother in Hawaiian. Um, I have an aunt who just passed away. She was a hundred years old. Mm-hmm. And they would interact in Hawaiian, which is so weird because she wouldn't speak Hawaiian to Kiko and I, really, mm-hmm. because we, I grew up interacting with her in, in English. And so 
um, she just felt comfortable, you know, speaking English to us. But when she knew that our daughter could speak Hawaiian, um, it was just very comfortable for her to speak with our children in Hawaiian um, in her old age because um, she knew that that was their language, you know. And so it's kind of interesting that we um, that we were able to. Well, I'm very thankful that we were, we were able to hold on to our language and then um, teach it to our children. Mm-hmm. But as far as me eating, yeah. Koa just chased me all over the world. <laughs> I mean, no, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah, that's somewhat true. That's somewhat true. Um, I, you know, just thinking about this too. I mean, Pelle and I, we met in high school, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm very thankful because this this um, crossing of paths that occurred in high school um, because of our love for Hawaiian music, um, hula, um, that's where we met up in high school. And um, I, you know, I think as far as chants and, and, and song and hula, that particular aspect of um, Hawaiian language you know, that really um, had the chance to continue on, even when the language kind of um, lessened in strength, the the songs were continuing, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the hula was continuing. So it made sense in a lot of ways, especially when we're looking at the, um, into the 90s, which seems so far away now, that um, ancient times, the 90s, 90s. for our kids at least. Mm-hmm. that um that it makes sense that that we connected in that way but it's it's really the language that that brought us together again when we were in um college, college yeah. to meet up again and we we always maintain friendship from from high school um Kikoi is two years older than me yeah, I just have to throw that out there senior so <laughs> um he he's actually a classmate of my older sister and they were friends in high school and then he and I like how he said we um we were part of a concert glee club at um Kamehameha schools mm-hmm. and like he said you know music is something that we just both have always loved our entire lives and um so singing songs mm-hmm. um together in concert glee and then we we both auditioned for a delegation um, a hoike mm-hmm. or a delegation oh, okay. too but a yeah. hoike which is like a a performance uh and um Kikwa ended up being my partner my dance partner and um so I don't know if it was just my my dancing skills or whatever well, and I always tell her she was looking at my malo my my loincloth and <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah we'll, we'll we'll go with that so, so actually we, we danced together we were very good friends in high school um, he went off to college, he graduated, he went off to college, but we did keep in touch, whether it be, mm-hmm. you know, phone calls, occasional, because we were, we were very good friends. Mm-hmm. And then um, when we both decided to go to um, the University of Hawaii in Hilo and take up language, Hawaiian language as our majors, then mm-hmm. our paths crossed again. And it mm-hmm. was, um, it was so funny, because I didn't know that that was what he had decided to do and he didn't know that I was going to be um transferring to that you know that I had declared a major you know we're on a path and I wanted to go into Hawaiian language and we saw each other at um school and it was just like picking up from where we left off Mm -hmm. back in high school Mm -hmm. and so whether it was study groups or 
you know, parties on the weekend, being college students, then we mm-hmm. just, um, we eventually started dating and we got married and we had our family, but yeah. yeah. And how many kids do you have? Four. Four. Four kids. Wow. But they're, yeah. I mean, we, we had three for a very long time. And then we just, we have a one-year-old now. <laughs> it seems like we're still getting used to seeing the number four. Right, <laughs> right. Our oldest is 19. Yeah. yeah. And she's in college. And we have a sophomore son and a freshman daughter. And then we have a infant, which is one year a one-year-old, yes. Mm-hmm. So there's a big gap. Wow. Well, I have to say it's a beautiful love story and it's even more beautiful, I think, because of your shared path and your commitment to something that's larger than just your, you know, family unit. What do you think about that sometimes? We should, especially when we're not happy with each other. Um, I think, yeah, like for me, even when we were just dating, you know, it was like, you know, at a certain level that we call it koko olua, yeah, that it's it's beyond a partner. It's like mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. your other half in in a lot of ways. And so, I think Keiko and I we we realized that we had that in in our interests, but also in just little things like mm-hmm. he. I can look at him in certain, you know, situations and he understands what I'm I'm trying to tell him with my eyes and he'll just kind of like go and 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 this mm-hmm. has served us in many many cases where yeah. whether it be my mm-hmm. sister's wedding, you know, and somebody forgets the ring, something very important <laughs> and I'm up at the altar and he's like looking at me and then I just kind of look at him and he's like okay I'm going to go get, you know, like he knows, like I sent him that brainwave. And so, um, and then of course in our kids, you know, yeah, yeah. so yeah. I, I think, um, you know, you don't, you don't realize that you may possibly impact other people, other places through your actions but you, um, I think you hope, to. you hope to, you try your best, you try your best with, um, with the resources you have, the knowledge you have at a particular time in your life. And, you know, I, I think Kelly and I, we can attest to, you know, we learn a lot of lessons <laughs> from being young, young parents and, and, and trying to do this. And we've had good teachers, good mm-hmm. teachers, good people who've, who've helped us along the way, our, our, our own family and also non, um, you know, family members, you know, within the Hawaiian language movement who've um, nurtured us and um, even within the academic setting um, that have really given us good advice, good advice. And um, I think that that's helped us along the way to realize that we do have an opportunity to, to give back and to, um, to give something a little more if, if we're, if we're able to, if, if we do have that little more time, we just, okay, come on, let's try it. And, and, you know, as Pele said, she's been, I think we've been good we've been good partners to one another to, to, to push each other, even when we don't want to be <laughs> pushed <laughs> that it's, um, it's, it's, it's helped. I mean, to have that type of 
Um, yeah. And I think just like working relationship. Um, like Hokikwa said, we've been very blessed in the fact that we've had great teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We come from very um, supportive families. Mm-hmm. Uh, and beyond that, people have come into our lives who have just given so much of themselves to us. And mm-hmm. so um, it's like a responsibility for us to do the same. Mm-hmm. You know, they say pay it forward or um, it's not really a choice. I feel like um, when you look at our history and our um, our genealogies as far as um, how how much our people have gone through and then and yet um, we still have our language and yet Mm -hmm. we still have hula and yet we have um, these stories of amazing individuals that held on to um, parts of our culture that they felt so strongly about and so why shouldn't we um, continue that that legacy Mm -hmm. of not just our individual families but our our people and, mm-hmm. and and indigenous cultures around the world. I feel like that's that's a story that re, um, resonates with so many people. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. um, it's a privilege, and it's it's a responsibility. It's a privilege. Um, but like our kumo, our teachers have told us, you know, we're we're these vessels that this knowledge has to pass through. But it came to us from someplace else. It came to us from those who held on to it before us. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, sometimes even had to, in, in, in respect to hula and language, it had to go underground and it had, it, to, be it, it had to be hidden. hidden. Mm-hmm. Otherwise we wouldn't have it. Um, mm-hmm. And then when it became popular again, or when it became you know, accepted to dance hula, um, it could come out into the light and 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 we're very thankful that um, our teachers and their teachers before that held on to this this um, these things and so we have to we try to hold on we try to preserve it in its purest form the uh-huh. way that it was taught That's to right. us because mm-hmm. that is our way of um, showing respect and appreciation to um, to to them and and then we try to teach our our students the same thing you know that um this is this is knowledge that is going to be passed on to you folks and you hold on to it and you take care of it and then when the time is right you pass it on to your children and that's how um our culture lives but it's beyond the dances themselves Mm -hmm. it's a way of thinking it's a way of um um seeing the world uh through these compositions and then also um interacting with others you know Mm -hmm. it's not Mm -hmm. it's not a commodity to hold on to and put a price tag on it's um something that we need to uh hold on to take care of and then pass it along to the next generation and so Mm -hmm. that's the way our teachers taught us and so we Mm -hmm. we have to I, I, you know, and everything that we we try and do, um, whether it be our our ancestors, our our kupuna, our mm-hmm. our, our grandparents, our great grandparents that are no longer physically with us, you kind of try. You, you have to ask yourself, like, okay, what do I do? 
um, is this right? Is this mm-hmm. um, pono? I, I'm going to throw that word out there. Is this the correct way to do things? Um, and and you hope for a sign sometimes, um, whether it come in the form of a, um, I don't know, something in nature, like a, a little drizzle or something that you think, okay, okay, I think, I think it's, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And, and if it's not okay, um, especially for our, for our um, students, then Kikwa and I need to um, accept that fault mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as their teachers, you know, that no harm should come to our students for a misstep that we took as their instructors, that that's to fall on our shoulders and ours solely on our shoulders and so we always want to make sure that we try and keep things as um above board and Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and um pono as we can yeah and i think pele brings up a good point too i mean uh, throughout our learning throughout our life um you know realizing that it that it's that if we do make mistakes as teachers or parents that we're able to um to accept that and um, in our evolution, our evolving uh, uh, in this knowledge that we're able to, to go back and um, you know, take responsibility for that, for actions that may have been um, wrong or faulty and, and to correct it in a way that, that continues to honor our kupuna, our elders, um, to keep it in, intact. And it's not an easy thing because it can be something so small, but, it, but it's big. And when I say that, it maybe for a particular dance that we're doing a ala, a closing of a particular chant, and it's and we're not too sure whether it's an ami, which is a, the the rotation of the the hips, or if it's a uehe, and but we 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 do have the responsibility to to make sure that we know what what is the right step there, <laughs> and to seek that out and realize that in order for for us to continue continually be connected to our ancestors we have that responsibility there to, to make sure that we're, we're teaching it correctly. And it still um, embodies and is looked upon as the same dance that was learned by her grandmother, her great grandmother, and it's, it's intact. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you guys really feel the sense of responsibility. Is it strengthened, especially with regard to language because of how the language, I mean, it's still considered in danger mm-hmm. of extinction. Mm-hmm. Is does that strengthen your commitment and your feeling of responsibility? I, I would I would say that's a great um way to phrase it because well, you know, we we got together or we we met each other through music and and it was more the mechanics of your voice and pitch and reading um notes but learning our language has um return has taught us so much as far as um how to not just compose a hula a dance but also to appreciate the like the ingenuity of our of our our people when it comes to um creating poetry and then this idea of collaboration as well, because um, you can be the best composer or you can be um, somebody who's hailed as, you know, 
the creme de la creme when it comes to um, composing. However, you would still go to your colleagues and you would still have them what we call paka and you they would look over your um, your composition and they would um, scrutinize the words that you use because we can have multiple words that have the same meaning basically. Um, however, it might be a better, uh, one term might be more appropriate in this composition mm-hmm. rather than another. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I feel like it's only enhanced my knowing the language has has definitely um, pushed us to to be more thoughtful when we're composing our our, our dances and our motions. Um, we don't need to create pantomime hulas where we're accounting for every single word in a composition because we understand that in this entire line, this word might be the most important in when look in looking at the the big picture of what is being um, highlighted in this in this um, verse or in this composition. Mm-hmm. And so um, we are going to create a, a motion that would have been uh, the same in a different dance um, when referring to a flower, you know, because the flower is the most important thing. The flower is a metaphor for a child um, and how um, just like the flower blooms, so is this child. And so... Um, although I understand being a, a native speaker, I'm not a native speaker, being a, a Hawaiian language speaker, I understand that the flower is not really a flower, but it's a, it's a person. Um, I'm going to create a motion that is a traditional motion for flower. Mm-hmm. And only people who understand the language would, would make that connection, I think. Otherwise, mm-hmm. people who don't understand the language, but maybe dance hula or, or, or fans of hula, they'll see that motion and they'll know exactly that it's, it's, a, it's a flower. Um, they might not, however, pick up on the fact that it's a metaphor for a, a, a person. And so mm-hmm. we're, we're constantly in awe of how mm-hmm. ingenious our poets were when it came to, in these old compositions, when you think you're actually looking at something as simple as a flower, but the deeper you delve into it, there's all this this incredible, there's these layers of, and not in every single composition, some compositions are exactly what, hmm. you, you know, surface, it's, right there. Um, mm-hmm. face value, but mm-hmm. um, I, I'm thinking in particular, there's a there's an old song um, that my, my great grandmother and then my, my great aunt used to dance. And it's done with a split bamboo, one of our implements, a pu'ili that we call, and um, um, piano ahiahi. So the first time that they heard a piano um, in Ka'o, in um, the Southern District where they're from, and um, the composer of the song um, um, talks about, you know, this is just uh, hearing this, this instrument for the first time but um, when my great grandmother composed the hula to accompany it, it became a, a a partner hula, and so you're facing your your partner, and you're a lot of the um, I'm trying to think of the hoa lo aloi kikulo moi. So um, 
a friend that I, one of the lines is something about a friend that I face in the, in the wee, wee hours of the morning. And so they actually face each other in the, in the composition. But other than that, there's also a different meaning of ho'alo. Ho'alo means to dodge. And so in her creating the hula, they kind of dodge each other's um, implement while they're, while they're dancing. And so it's interesting how she was able to pick up on the two meanings of the word, mm-hmm. not just facing each other, but also dodging each other and using that implement to, to recreate that thought. And, and I always appreciate when I see something innovative like that, but yet it's traditional, you know, it, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just have a great appreciation mm-hmm. for that because to me, it only brings out the beauty of the poetry when you're able to capture it in a way that's not distracting, but complementary to um, the language itself. Then to me, that's 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 a huge um, task that we have as as um, dancers mm-hmm. and as teachers of dance mm-hmm. um, to not take away from the composition, but to complement that and to bring it alive for whether it be just our dancers or an audience, you know, that's the other thing I think sometimes we, we want to normalize the use of language, but we also want to normalize the use of hula. And it shouldn't be um, something that is only done on a competition stage. Um, Competitions are wonderful. However, you know, I I remember sometimes for, for our students when, when we went traveling and, we, we went to New Zealand, we took them to Aotearoa and we were like, it's only us in like a forest. And I would ask one of them, okay, can we do this chant to ask permission to enter their forest? Or can we do this chant? Because this place reminds me of a place that we have back home. And it's just us, you know, and our students, they didn't skip a beat. I mean, it was just like, but I, I can guarantee you that there's going to be other people who are be like, well, but we don't have an audience here. Like, <laughs> what are we doing this for? Mm-hmm. Like, that's not what hula. I mean, that's not the only function of hula. It's not just a perform a performing art. It's a it's a spiritual mm-hmm. and it's a um, cultural practice. Mm-hmm. And so, if you're practicing your culture, and you're actually um, a practitioner of of these cultural things you don't have to have anyone else there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um it's you connecting with your with the land mm-hmm. with the wind with the rain observing with your eyes and your ears and your nose and you know mm-hmm. the elements around you and so yeah i think that's that's that was interesting because mm-hmm. they didn't miss a beat they were like okay it's just us and and a waterfall here but it's for us, you know, us asking permission to go into someone else's space. That's, um, that's for us. And that's part of our culture. And it, it has, nobody has to witness that except for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For your question about the, um, the life of the language and thinking about that, you know, through, through hula and us learning the language, um, yeah, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately, especially <laughs> in educating our students is it's important for them to understand the weight of this, um, the, the importance of connecting to, a, to the language and to the hula that was, that was um, learned and taught by 
um, your kupuna, your ancestors. On the other side of that, too, I, I've been thinking, you know, about young people and the importance of, of the living side. And this connects to actually what Pele just brought up is when you learn these things that are that are considered old or ancient, how do you continue to bring relevance to it today? So that young people, and, 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 and I'm not only gonna talk about young people, but even for Pele and I, how do, how do these chants, these ways of expressing ourselves in Hawaiian, how does it connect to how we live today? And how we create today? Because if we do not see the connection there, we will never get it to that point where it's normalized or it's living and it's and it's part a part of everything that we're doing. So um, it's it's an important process because you want to teach your students that these things are important. We want to do it the way our ancestors did it. We want to speak in this way. But how does it connect to the way you live today? How will you be able to to know it so well? that you're able to create in a way, the way your kupuna, the way your ancestors did it. And, and you know, we have good role models that I, when I look at some of the, um, the, the chants that were written by Mary Kavanapukui, um, Pele's great grandmother, you know, some people, some scholars look at it today and go, you know, you look at the text of this particular chant and you would think, you would think it was written in in, in the 1700s, right? mm -hmm. but she was that good of a scholar and her connection and her learning that she was able to live in the 20th century and create something that looked and, and felt like something that, that was much, much older. And that's what excites me today. That's what, you know, that I hope, I hope within our lifetime, we'll get, get closer to to that and will inspire students and our children and, and students that we teach that they want to do that too, that they want to learn and, and know this craft and this language so well mm -hmm. that they're able to create. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, and you don't need to have a whole symphony. Yeah. You yeah. know, it can be one person, one dancer. If you can emote the emotion and the, um, the spirit and the essence of that dance you alone then that is i think that's something that we all aspire to rather yeah. than having the <laughs> brilliant costumes and the lighting and you know it shouldn't be about that it should actually be about um your connection to that to that dance or that place and and we've had experiences both where we're like you know you kind of get a little overwhelmed with emotion because I remember being in the Bishop Museum and listening to um, an old tape recording and I, I wasn't quite prepared. I didn't know what I was listening to. It was something that I just picked up and, and then all of a sudden my great grandmother's voice came on and I thought, and I started to cry because I thought to myself, hmm, for some reason, what she was saying at that time was very relevant to what I was studying. And so um, it was almost like, um, you know, technology allowed us to for, for her to give me advice <laughs> in a museum and, and there's like scholars all around and I'm like crying and I look weird but it's okay wow. um, because I needed to hear that at that moment in time mm -hmm. in order to continue on doing what I was doing at, the, at I was writing my um my thesis, thesis. at the time mm -hmm. 
and I wanted to give up but but you know she she just her voice came on and I thought oh how strange it's my great it's my great grandmother I, I know her voice and then she said exactly what I needed to do to hear at that time to kind of keep trudging along and so I thought well mahalo <laughs> thank you <laughs> going back to a point that you made about connecting the language connecting you to the land do you think that there's um a role with Hawaiian language and hula and the the spirituality of it in environmentalism. Do you think that there, that 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 resonates? Mm -hmm. Um, Our songs, our compositions are old chants and um, they're not just historical accounts of things that actually happened, but they are in many cases, um, maps and Mm -hmm. lessons for us as far as place-based learning like how to take care of this place because it's documented our chance when it came to you know um, volcanic eruptions and these are things that our people have have um, dealt with for their um, since the beginning of time in Hawaii and I I get I always think of this because because my my great aunt like I said she just passed away at the beginning of January and she was a hundred years old and she was just such a special person to um, to me, uh, and I actually wrote my my thesis paper about her hula training in the um, 1930s, actually um, under some of the hula masters. And so, what she when she found out that I was moving to Hilo, for instance, uh, she says, "Do you know that old song um, Ahiloa, which mm-hmm. is a mm-hmm. a song in honor of Kauikiauli, one of our our um, our." he's of the Kamehameha um, line, um, one of our chiefs. And so uh, in, in that song, there's a verse that says, that talks about a river here in this, in this, on this island, in this area on the east side, which means there, there in Wailuku River, there are man caves. And so um, the way that that, you know, that particular area is there's a lot of um, underground tube um, caves and tubes and so it might look to somebody who's not familiar with the area like oh it's such nice water it's a beautiful day the sun is shining but you also have to think if no one else is swimming here on this beautiful sunny day there might be a reason for that if the local people aren't there um they're at another beach, in another area, at another river, swimming and enjoying themselves, then perhaps I might heed the warning of, um, and so she she had brought this chant up to me. I said, oh, yes, I'm familiar with that chant. And she says, well, you do, you're not to go swim in Wailuka River when you move to Hilo. And I said, okay. And she says, because in the chant, remember, it says the man caves. Well, that's because that particular river, the way that it flows, it'll pull you under the water and you'll get stuck. And that's why we have a lot of fatalities of people who um, aren't familiar with the mm-hmm. area and then they go and swim. You know, it's very, um, it's kind of alluring and it's very enticing to to swim in the river on a nice day, but it's in our songs. Um, it's in our old chants that um, that is not the best place to, to um to to swim and so Mm -hmm. 
I remember her telling me this when she found out that I was going to heal on of all the conversations we had prior to me leaving for um, college here. That was the one thing that she wanted to make sure to don't, don't you go swim in Wailuku river. It's dangerous. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I said, okay, well, I'll remember that. And um, she cited, you know, a chant. And so there, is there, is there a line from that chant that you could. Oh yeah. Say? You can chant it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, maybe we'll go. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's called Ahilo, so we'll start from the first one. And it's a, it's a, um, uh, a chest slapping dance. So there's no, there's no accompaniment as far as a, a, um, a gourd or a percussion, you know, which we use a lot, uh, with our chants, but it's the human body that keeps the beat. So we'll do mm. it with our, with our, um, by slapping our, ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Ila <laughs> in honor of Kawikiauli, our chief yeah so that's a um yeah that's a pula pai umama we we slap our chest and then we also keep beat vigorous um, the ri- rhythm <laughs> by hitting our our thighs as mm-hmm. well and so the human body becomes your your um, your accompaniment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it means don't go swimming in that river because you'll get right. pulled under. Well, that particular verse, yeah, talking yes. about the Wailuku River. Mm-hmm. So it documents these, um, and you'll see this in a lot of our compositions. It if it's not in honor of a of a chief or um, um, it might be in about a place, and so you'll have the name of. Um, the wind of that place or the rain of that place. Um, and you'll learn a lot about um, a, a location, you know, mm-hmm. in, in, a, in a song, because um, whether it be, so this particular one, it has that, it has that warning of Wailuku River, um, the one that we just did. But also when I think of um, some of the songs that have to do with uh, different parts of our, of our island or any island, actually, it'll, it'll tell you the name of the wind um, or the rain in that, in that locality. And, and it, it tells you the differences between um, these places. So mm-hmm. whether it be, if you go to Waimea, Waimea is famous on this island. It's on the Northern part of Hawaii mm-hmm. Island. Um, Waimea has a very strong wind. Um, color makes a very strong rain and it's it like pelts your skin I mean it doesn't it's not a nice misty gentle um, type gentle of. kind of rain mm-hmm. you will get soaked everything I mean to the to your bones you'll feel cold and um and so the rain is called the kawakipu'upu'u um and what's interesting about that is that um that was also the name of a um one of our chiefs, um, Kamehameha Paya, Kamehameha, his, his fleet of warriors. Mm-hmm. He called he called them the 
um, his warriors were the kipu'upu'u because they were so piercing and quick and fast um, that he compared them to the rain in Waimea. Mm-hmm. And that's particular to that location. And then you'll go to other places like where my family is from in the southern part of this island. It's considered a desert, ka'u, you know, ka'u. Um, it's considered a desert, but it's very famous for their wind. Mm-hmm. Even the trees don't grow straight because <laughs> the wind is so strong that they kind of grow at a slant. And you can tell which way um, the wind, mm-hmm. the prevalent direction of the wind in that mm-hmm. area is because your um, all the plants will be kind of leaning Growing in, in that, that, way. <laughs> in mm-hmm. that side. Mm-hmm. And so the wind there is called the kwehulepo, the, the, um, the wind that stirs up the, the dirt because it just it's such a strong wind and so we know these things about our places not just in, even if I didn't live on this island it's in our songs it's in our language mm-hmm. and so if I if somebody from Kauai um, I've gone to Kauai a few times and 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 we have um, I have family in Molokai on the different islands but because I don't live there and I you know I visited on occasion and then time passes by and you kind of like oh yeah I forget but I know a lot about those places from our songs I know Mm -hmm. a lot Mm -hmm. about um, which flowers grow on those um, on those islands and what the name of the mountains are on those islands and Mm -hmm. um, and then from our hula I can tell um, if a mountain is uh, more like a peak like a a triangular um, mountain or or more rounded at the top if it's more like a hill um, because our old hula dancers, our, our teachers, um, made sure that they sh- they portrayed this using motions mm-hmm. that were either very angular or more rounded. And so I I know something about all of these pieces just from knowing these songs and knowing these dances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that aspect too of um you know environmentalism and being connected to the land um we have this particular term kama'aina kama'aina to be a child of the land what we see within our um compositions this type of pride in the way the the composition is written because when a composer writes this particular chant they're able to to know all of these names the names of these places the name of the wind the name of the rain the sounds that talking about the way the, the the birds sound when you go into the forest and the way it surrounds you and uh, these particular lehua blossoms you know red pom-pom like flowers that are um, famous in Mokaulele, which is very close to the University of Hawaii at Hilo. Um, but how we're able to be kama'aina, to be children of the land by being familiar with these areas. So, so these chants give us um, give us clues, especially if, we, if we're not too sure about some of these places and, and what they're famous for. And um, it actually encourages, encourages it encourages us to to go out and you know take our students and to to understand what's being talked about in in these chants Mm -hmm. if um at first it may be just a visualization but to actually go there Mm -hmm. and and have your body feel what the rain feels like what the wind feels like Mm -hmm. what are these sounds that um that you hear in the forest what adjectives would you use to describe it you know Mm -hmm. because then we can get into composing actual new poetry and we actually took our our students up 
our hula students oh, to the volcano. Mm-hmm. Um, we had planned on because we teach them songs about that area and the and the um, and Pele and and the lava and and how the light from the within the pit um, the crater at night it'll reflect uh, glowing. These are all in our songs. I mean, the way that they describe it is just so um, vivid mm-hmm. and so. Um, for mm-hmm. for somebody who who speaks the language or knows the language, you know, and so um, we wanted to take our students because the actually it was um, there was lava in the crater, and we wanted them to see this. You know, you, you, it's one thing to learn it and dance, but it's another thing to actually see it. And so we took them. We slept up there. We we rented um, some cabins, and we went in the cold, cold, cold because it's really cold. Well. By our for standards, us. yeah, for us, um, it's cold <laughs> there, and so um, we waited until it was night, and we went by the crater's edge, and we could just see that it just got so bright, mm-hmm. orange and red, and just the colors were so vibrant. And then the next day, we had we sat in a circle and we thought, how would you describe what you saw, what you saw, what you heard, what you um, felt, um, what what was around us and we actually did compose a song with them about that experience and that field trip for us and we ended up um, sending that song our composition to one of our mentors one of our teachers and he looked it over and he suggested word changes here and there um, which is our tradition you know Um, and then we uh, we we put a voice to it, uh, a tune to it, and then we had them. Um, actually, we entered a competition with that. That was their entering chant, and that and we they chanted it about this experience at the at the crater, and then they danced the old song that my um, great grandmother had composed for my grandmother to dance about the crater as well. And about, well. Mm-hmm. and so it was a new composition paired with an old dance, and they ended up getting top honors. I mean, they won first place, but because they had composed a chant, we had done it together, then it was a lot easier to bring out that emotion because mm-hmm. they had seen it. It was like, mm-hmm. you know, a movie was playing in their mind at, at, at that time and the words connected to what they had experienced. We, we were not going to just say like, oh, it was nice. It, <laughs> it was, was pretty. Beautiful. It was pretty. Right, it was yeah, pretty, yeah. it was cold. I said, we have words that are actually very specific, very specific to Uh the way that the earth um, shakes and the earth rumbles. And, you know, they're they're words that we can use that to describe. Uh Could you give me an example of one or two? uh So we we said that we use the word, um, this is the, the home um, that is constantly shifting and um, um, sliding, mm-hmm. um, um, shifting and sliding of Pele, of the volcano goddess. And so instead of saying that we, we are, so here I am at the um, at the brim of Kilauea Crater, looking down, looking down upon the fire of um, the woman. 
So the woman who eats the earth, the, the earth consuming woman of Pele in her home that is constantly shifting and, and sliding mm-hmm. and moving, um, you know, because the, the walls will kind of crumble down or it'll get bigger. It just depends on the way that the, the lava is flowing. And so mm-hmm. we put that in our composition and um, and yeah, I was really proud of that. And, and even, you know, um, when our teacher had, had looked it over and then he said, this is a good, this is a good composition, you know? And, um, and so that's high praise coming from a, <laughs> a, a language expert. And so we were very, very thankful and mm-hmm. happy um, that we could experience that with our, with our students. Mm-hmm. And they could experience that because maybe long, a long time from now, you know, not, not all of them teenagers, they're a funny bunch, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're very fickle. They get involved in their own things. But mm-hmm. but I hope we hope that someday after they go through their dramatic teenage years and they come back to Hula, a lot of them stay on. But some, you know, they they get involved in sports or, you know, yeah, boyfriends and mm-hmm. girlfriends and whatever's. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but we want them to remember that. And, and that's something that's important that um, this place is not always going to look the same. If you look at old pictures, it's changed. The, our, our land is a living land. I mean, it's, it's constantly getting larger or... Um, we have earthquakes and we have, you know, these things that are shifting. It's in our song too. Um, however, development too, you know. Yeah. Um, it's our responsibility to mm-hmm. always take care of this place and make mm-hmm. sure that it is here for our children and our grandchildren and our great grandchildren because our ancestors said, um, that the land is chief and we are its servants. And so we're here for a short time and we're to make sure that environmentally we take care of this place Mm -hmm. so that Mm -hmm. the air quality and the plants still grow and um, there's enough fish in our waters to feed people. And, you know, and so um, that's a very, very old thing and a very old understanding that we're not um, owners of the land. In, In fact, we're the stewards of the land and the land is, here the land has been here before so it'll be here Mm -hmm. after we leave this earth but we're actually its servants and so if we take care of these things and we um don't take more than we need when it comes to gathering or fishing um then it'll always provide for us Mm -hmm. you know but if we overexhaust and we don't take care of our water um and we allow it to be polluted Mm -hmm. and and then what do we have to um, to give to our children? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's all in our language. I ahilo ahilo wela olulu kalehuala ahilo pohakaleo olulu kalehuala. Kanakala, Awa, Ilukula, Kalua, Kanakala, Ay, 
I think, um, you know, especially in, in hearing the audio files, um, and it's it's become actually more evident because we have such a, a small amount of students and we do these chants that um, that require them to to be the chanter that accompanies their their um, sitting dance that we're trying to um, to help them develop their their ability to chant and to be confident in in the words that they do know that they're able to connect that with with the dance that they're doing and um and maybe you know the age group too but I, but I do notice I think when we um when we teach hula these these dances are especially important because it's up to the dancer you need to make sure that you know every Your single words. word <laughs> and you're able to vocalize these words in a way that that go with what you're you're moving to and um it's not an easy thing it's not an easy thing and I, i'm realizing it more so in looking at these students go, oh, how do i help them find their their, their voice. voice their voice and mm -hmm. it really it has a lot to do with confidence i mean we're mm -hmm. hula is a is a it's a way in which to teach so many things yes. but that's the vehicle so we're saying, oh, we're teaching hula, but we're actually teaching um, lavena, our behavior. We're teaching posture. We're teaching interaction. We're teaching how to. Um, so one thing that you'll probably hear on the um, voice file is you'll hear different voices, like how, um, and they have to kahia. So they have to call what the next verse is coming up. And um, I will assign a different dancer for every, for every, um, that's because it shouldn't only be you know that one dancer person. who's yeah, yeah. uber confident <laughs> yeah, yeah. and wants to you know we want to bring the voice out in all of our students yes yes um and so uh and, and for a lot of these students they're going to be for they're the ones that are reclaiming language and our culture for their entire families mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm they're going to be the ones that are called upon to name children for generations to come and to be the um, one who, who offers the prayer at, at the beginning of family gatherings. Mm -hmm. And so they're not just students that go to high medium school. They're that bridge back to within their families, back to generations back. And mm -hmm. so um, they need to find their voice and they need to be confident in um, what they know. And so hula is one way of teaching them that, um, whether it be, okay. And, and sometimes we'll say, okay, you're, you're going to call out this dance. And then they, we get a little like head shake, like, oh no, <laughs> you know, my voice is tiny. I said, well, then we're going to maybe not know what's coming up because it's beyond you. This is not about you mm -hmm. and your, your timidity. It's about us and us knowing mm -hmm. wh which direction this song is going. And so your responsibility is to make sure you know which verse is coming up and you call it out that, so that we can hear it. You use mm -hmm. your voice, I mean. And so... Um, they're learning because they're young, yeah, you know, yeah. they're young, but mm -hmm. you better believe that 
by the time I mean our oldest daughter she was the shyest of shy and um yet she's the loudest voice that we hear in almost every so we'll tell her like okay everyone else chant except for you know and we've had dancers like that that mm-hmm. you know somewhere along the line they find their confidence they find their identity they find their voice and they're they become the leaders and so um what what's next well for them to pass the baton on and and grow others um because uh hula is that vehicle but like i said we're teaching these are on on the kids the shoulders of these kids are going to be a lot more in in years to come Mm -hmm. um Mm because they're going to be all the hawaiian speaker of their family and the namer and the prayer and the spiritual leader and the cultural leader of their families and so um we want them to be as prepared as possible and mm-hmm. use hula to help them along in that in that path on that path mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thanks to my guests, Kikoa and Pele Harmon, for sharing their stories, their insights, and their recordings of their exquisite chants. If you'd like to drop them a line to say aloha or to find out more about their hula school, you can email them at halauikaleoola at gmail.com. I'll put that address in the podcast description. I'm Mary Beth Tool, and you've been listening to Sonic Earth Expeditions. Until next time, mahalo, and remember... Better living through listening. Happy trails. Hey, no, no, Pelly. Hey, no, no, Pelly.